Today we are looking at um, Acts chapter 5, and I, I thought maybe I would uh, again continue this series that we've been doing on Peter. And it's, it's interesting, as, as you look back over the messages, and perhaps if you would like to um, listen to them all over again, they're on the computer on First Assembly of God. Nope. Wimber Assembly of God, that's it. it just, oh, okay. WimberAssembly.org. There we go, there we go. I, I just type it up and hit it and it comes on, all right? So I don't even know the whole thing. But uh, WimberAssembly.org, and all the sermons are on there, so, and they're even, even um, um, audio and visual, so you get doubly blessed. <laughs> Yes, okay, enough of that, huh? doubly blessed. But um, the idea is to follow Peter, okay? Peter is a very interesting person, you know? Uh, I think of him as perhaps a lot like us, and he, you know, as we go back and be a little reflective over his life and his calling, you know, he's this uneducated fisherman, and Jesus calls him, and, you know, like the other disciples, they all have their preconceived ideas, about what Jesus is going to do for them and how that Jesus is this new Messiah and, you know, he's going to set up his kingdom and they're going to be rulers and things like that. And I think of that in the context that you and I, we have these preconceived ideas about religion, about faith, about our relationship, about church, uh, things like that. And those preconceived ideas generally stand in the way of what God really wants to do in our life. And how then do we challenge those conceptions to get them out of the way so that we can proceed in our faith? See, our, our faith and our relationship with God, see, it's faith and relationship, not religion and getting in. It is faith in God, forgiveness of God in our life, establishing a relationship with Jesus Christ. So we have Peter. Now, Peter's this guy, you know, he's this impetuous Peter is a good word, um, good combination for him, and he has this preconceived idea, like the other disciples, that Jesus is going to set up a kingdom, They're going to be, he's going to be on his right or left, and they all were jockeying for positions. Well, we know that the crucifixion came, and Peter's the one who said, I'll never deny you, Jesus, and Jesus told him, well, tonight, Peter, you're going to deny me three times, and it's this type of situation we find Peter just sticking his foot in his mouth and things like that. Well, after the resurrection, they still are not quite sure what all of this means, what it means for Jesus to be alive and what it means for them as followers of Jesus, what they should be doing. You know, they go fishing. Jesus appears to them and feeds them bread and fish along the shore and goes with Peter uh, again over do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Three times he does this with Peter. Well, then comes Pentecost. Pentecost is the coming of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is that unique person of the Trinity that is everywhere present, that is, speaks with each of us and to us in our hearts and our minds, leads us, and it's a challenge because it, we, we would say, well, you know, if Jesus were here, we could hear him and we could listen to him, we would do that. Well, the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God, 
and he is the person, third person of the Trinity, and he teaches us and talks to us about the Word. He's the one, the Holy Spirit. If what we know about God, God taught us. The misconceptions we have, we learned them on ourselves. You know, we took them, you know, generally in a negative context and took them in a direction that separates us from God. What the Spirit does in the Word of God brings us to an understanding of God in which we can apply our faith and apply the Scriptures to our life. Jesus didn't come to condemn the world. Jesus came to save the world. Jesus is not the condemning person. Our sin and our faults and our failures are our condemnations. The Spirit has come to set us free. The Spirit of God has come to liberate us that we can become the person that God intended us to be if there were no sin in our life or no separation from God in our life. So God wants to free us up and how we can become that person that God intended us to be without doubts, without fears, without a condemning spirit, without negativity, without fault-finding and failures, God wants us to see how that he can work in our life and have faith, which is a belief that God is going to bring good things into our life. And when things don't work out, we believe that God is going to work in those things not working out to bring about good in our life. And so this is the way that God is at work. And so we have Peter then. Peter has gone through these, all these different misconceptions and you know, understandings and denials of Jesus and then empowered at Pentecost. And then Peter stands up and preaches you know, on, on Pentecost and declares what has happened. And there's a whole change in Peter's life. He becomes transformed. The Spirit came into Peter's life and transformed him and kind of brought together his knowledge of what Jesus was teaching his knowledge of the Old Testament, what he knew, had been a good um, you know, supporter in, in the synagogue, and he brought all that together, and Peter began to preach and to teach it, and it's like, wow, everything opened up for him. Well, in, in today's lesson, in, in, in chapter 5, we have Ananias and Sapphira. Now, here's Peter, and what has happened in the early church is they have decided, you know, they're, they're, they're so, they're together every day and they're praying and they're worshiping together and, and people, uh, and they believe that Jesus is going to come back quickly. You know, they saw him go up into heaven and the early thought was, well, Jesus is going to come back and, you know, he's going to set up his kingdom, his, his, his earthly kingdom, whenever he gets back. So they decided to sell. A lot of individuals were selling what they belonged their belongings, their homes, and their lands, and putting it into a common pot. And everyone in the, that was a Christian, there was food and, and lodging and things taken out to take care of everybody. So they were, some of them were, you know, and they, Peter wasn't telling them to do this. There were just individuals who felt that that's what they should do. Because there were some very poor widows, beggars, that were part of the church, and so they were taking care of them. Well, in chapter 5, we have Ananias and Sapphira. Now, Ananias and Sapphira, we're going to read about them in a little bit. But so if we see the situation here, we have people who were taking their goods, their lands, selling them and giving them to the church. 
Now, some of them would give everything and some of them would give a portion or whatever, but they would give what they had and put it into a common banking account. But a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira, conniving in this with him, okay, so Sapphira and Ananias and Sapphira were conniving. Uh, what do you think that means? They were scheming. <laughs> Ananias and Sapphira, they were scheming behind the scenes because people who were doing this were kind of elevated. Wow. Aren't they really good Christians? Aren't they really good at what they do? Look at how they sold everything and put it in the bank. So they were conniving. So there was the, the good that they had could have come for, into their life. They were conniving in such a way that it wasn't going to be good. They sold a piece of land and secretly, conniving and secretly are not good words use in the same sentence okay you know if you're conniving and doing something secret you better watch out okay so they secretly kept part of the the price for himself and they brought the rest to the apostles and made an offering of it now it's not a bad thing that they had sold nor was it bad that they had only given a part that was not the problem. The part, the, 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 the scheming and conniving was, we gave the whole thing. Aren't we good? Will you please look at me? Look what I gave. How good I am. Don't you, th- don't you like me? <laughs> See? <laughs> well... Ananias and Sapphira were doing this in order to gain popularity with the church. And so we know that, you know, we've all heard that, well, you know, I don't go to church because there's a bunch of hypocrites over there. Well, some people like to pretend that they are Christians. <laughs> That's an actor. An hypocrite is an actor. And so there are people who act like Christians for the um, public And so they pretend to be something they're not. Ananias and Sapphira are pretending to be something they're not. And when, always, when God starts something new, like this is the the dispensation of the church, the church age, this is the beginning of the church age. And what we find here is that God begins it with a bang, okay? God begins it with a bang, and Ananias and Sapphira uh, are representative of all of those individuals who would go into a church situation pretending to be something they're not, and conniving, scheming secretly to deceive. Now, there's a difference between a conniving and secret and people who are just human, okay? People who are human are people who make mistakes. Now, human is not an excuse. Well, you got to excuse me, I'm just human. Excuse me, everybody's just human, all right? It's not an excuse, it's just it's reality. So people will fail, people will make mistakes. There's no one who is perfect. I just thought I'd tell you that, <laughs> okay? In case you thought somebody was perfect, or you thought you were perfect. I hate to burst your bubble, but it didn't happen. You're not perfect. So people are going to fail us. Our faith is not in people. Our faith is in God. And our faith is in God and everyone. We're trying to do our best, and do we fail? Yes. 
And are people going to use that as an excuse not to do their best? Yes. You see, if you're looking for an excuse, you will find it. A poor excuse is good as a good one. There's still excuses. Okay, so Peter, there are miracles of mercy help going on in this, in this local church, in this early church. There's miracles of helping. There's miracles of taking care of widows and, and, and the orphans and people who had no one to take care of them. They've come into the church, and the church is, is newly formed. I mean, this is just right out of the, you know, weeks after Pentecost and the coming of the Holy Spirit, and there's this, this tremendous sweep of the moving of God and of people remembering what Jesus taught and did and now there's preaching that Jesus is alive and and there's all these people who saw Jesus alive after the crucifixion and they're telling everybody about what they saw and and people are convinced that Jesus is the Messiah so they're coming out of the woodwork all the people have heard about him, all the people who had seen his miracles, all the people who listened to his teachings and saw him crucified and gave up hope, and now there's hope again in a resurrection, and it's true, and so they come together and they're celebrating and they're worshiping, and they're just really caught up in all the good things, and Ananias and Sapphira want to ride the tide. <laughs> they want to ride the tide. That sounds good, huh? Ride the tide. Don't you like that? <laughs> all right go on so what happened brought their money in threw it in the pot and peter said now how does peter know what he's about to say how does he know this information he goes ananias how did satan get you to lie to the holy spirit and secretly keep back part of the price of the field. How did Peter know this? Remember, Peter's this ignorant fisherman who's never had any formal education, now is the leader of the early church, and there are thousands coming to the church daily. There are like 5,000 at one time, 3,000 at another, and Peter is the shepherd. He's the head shepherd of all of these people, and the other disciples are there. And so here's Ananias and Sapphira coming in, and they're, you know, Peter's overseeing the coming of the money in, and he looks at Ananias and he says, he knew what Ananias had done. Well, in the gifts of the Spirit, it's called the word of knowledge. Word of knowledge is there's certain facts in the mind of God that God will let us in on that we have no way of knowing. We used to call it, some people would call it ESP, extrasensory perception. Some women call it women's intuition. And then some people just call it paranoia. <laughs> All right. Paranoia is, I, I think you're thinking bad thoughts about me. That's not a revelation from God. Okay, that's just paranoia. The gift of the Spirit is that when you need to know something, and you pray about it, that God can kind of put that thought in your mind, what is the direction to go, what is happening. When I was doing a lot of counseling, and my, well, when I did a lot of counseling, I would, I would sit there and, and sometimes, you know, talk to individuals, and they'd be going off in a direction, and I'm getting there and saying, you know, this isn't right, this is not where it's supposed to go. And I would say, you know, what about this? And they'd go, how'd you know that? I said, 
tell me about this and what happened here. Who told you? He <laughs> said, well, I just know that this isn't where we're going. This is where we need to go. Now, whether it's my ability to see or whether it was God, I don't want, you know. But there was a way of knowing. My mother, my grandmother, my grandmother was a, a, a preacher. And, um, and she, didn't, she didn't have a church, but she would speak at different revival services and things. My grandmother, if, if, you, were, if you didn't want to be exposed, you didn't go to church when my grandmother was preaching. <laughs> because my grandmother would be preaching and she would look at somebody and say, well, you know, what about, and she would just, call out something that happened in their life or something that they did and no one knew about it. It was, it was a secret thing and she would just flat out say it, you know. Or somebody had an illness uh, that no, they hadn't told anyone about and she would call it out and say, well, what about, and she wouldn't say, you know, like in, in the um, television thing, they go, well, you know, somebody out there has a problem, you know. And there's, you know, 10 million people watching and one of them has this problem. My, my grandmother would go to a person and say, you have this problem, right? Yeah, yeah, how'd you know? It's called a word of knowledge. Well, here Peter has that word of understanding, this word of knowledge about Ananias. And he says to Ananias, how did Satan get into you to lie to the Holy Spirit and secretly keep back the price of the field? He, was, he knew and he, he blamed Ananias for allowing Satan to bring this thought into his life to lie. Now, it's important that we understand lying is that which is deceptive. And it destroys. It kills. The outcome for Ananias and Sapphira is that they die. Well, they die, just drop dead. It, Peter doesn't say, well, you know, you're going to die for this. He said, you've lied. And then they died. Well, in, 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 that, in this case, it's like, wow, that's a pretty extreme uh, consequence for just lying about something. Well, it represents that whenever we lie, we are, we are killing the truth. And, every, and we, can't build our, we can't build our lives on lies. They will destroy us. So we find that in this, in this analogy, we know that everybody who's lied in church doesn't die immediately. <laughs> you know, there's lots of people who lie in church. Where else would you want to lie? Because everybody's going to believe you. Think about it. If people who are liars want to lie, they're going to go someplace where somebody's going to believe them. What's the use of telling a lie if somebody's not going to believe you? So you've got to make it a better one. But you see, people who are actors, people who are actors want to act out a part, and they will what? They will do whatever it takes to make their part work. So Ananias is an actor, and he wants to perform for the community. He wants the community to elevate him to a position of honor. So he's in this for what he can get out of it, so he gives part of and says, I, give it all. I gave it all. That's the lie. I gave it all. 
aren't. You look at me and elevate me. So what happened is, Peter says, why did you let Satan? Satan got into you and you secretly kept back part of the land. Before you sold it, it was yours. After you sold it, the money was yours. So what got into you to pull a trick like this? You don't lie to men. You didn't lie to men, but you lied to God. And this is the part that, when I, when I think about our life, our life is something, we're, we're in our life to live before God. We live our life before God, and that we're not here to pretend to be something. I'm pretending to be a good Christian. I go to church. I will try to do the right things. You see, if we cannot be a Christian without God's help, you need God's help to live the Christian life. You know, if we're doing something wrong, we need God's help to overcome that wrong. If we are lying, stealing, cheating, whatever, breaking the law of God, we need to ask God for forgiveness. We need to ask God to break that habit in our mind and in our spirit and to overcome that weakness inside of us that says we've got to do this in order to present a picture of myself, an actor. I am acting out a part, and therefore I am wanting to portray an image, so therefore I've got to do whatever it takes to make this actor succeed. And God is saying, it's not that way. It's not that way at all. Be yourself. I know, I know who you are. I made you. While you were yet in your mother's womb, I formed you and I gave you all the abilities and all the qualities you're going to need for your entire life. And lying is not going to bring them out. The truth of my word is going to bring them out. And see, God wants to bring out the truth in us. God wants to bring out the life in us. God wants to bring out the best in us. God wants to bring out the things that he put inside of us that will benefit our life and the lives of the people around us. And God wants to bring this out of us. But sometimes we feel we have to be an actor and wear a mask. See, anybody can be an actor, whether it's at work or at school or at home. It, you know, we can be actors all the time, presenting something that we're not. God wants us to believe for the impossible to bring out the qualities in our life that are very much a part of who we are. He doesn't reject those qualities. He made them. And he makes them, and then his spirit and his word come together to come together with that qualities and then to build that person. Not a pretender, but a real person who is a contender. How about that? We're not pretenders, we're contenders. Contenders? You know, for contender for the... Okay. So anyhow, contending. The second, I want to go on to another scripture. Matthew, chapter 18, beginning at verse 1. The disciples are wondering who is greatest. Who gets the greatest... That's not there, is it? Do you have that, Matthew? Oh, you're working on it. Okay. I, I can't read my writing for what verse 1 is. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of God? The disciples want to know this, Okay. 
And then he says, for an answer, Jesus called over a child whom he stood in the middle of the room and said, okay, so, okay, Jesus, you know, disciples, who's greatest? They were again looking at, there's, there's all 12 of us here, Jesus, choose us. Pull one of us out and tell us that we're greatest among all the rest. What does Jesus do? He takes a child that is in the room, puts a child in the middle. Okay? Puts a child out, calls a child out, and says, I'm telling you, once and for all, that unless you return to square one and start over like children, you're not even going to get a look at the kingdom of God. If you don't start your life over like a little child, nothing will work. Whoever becomes simple and elementary again, like this child, will rank high in God's kingdom. What's more, when you receive the childlike, when you receive the childlike on my account, it's the same as receiving me. So when you receive this, what I am, like a child, we call it being naive. Naivete means inborn character. Inborn character. The naive child inside of us is one that accepts without question. What made me think of this, um, well, you know, we have Jackson with us, <laughs> and um, I think it was Rhonda, it was either last week or the week before, whatever, one of the, not, whenever Jackson was downstairs in children's church, and they were talking about Jesus and his miracles, and he was the, I think it was the same Sunday we were talking about walking on water, and Jesus walked on water and the problems and so on, and then Jackson comes up and says, and Super Grover came. Super Grover, okay? Super Grover showed up. It's like, now, in his mind, Jesus was doing the supernatural, and so does Super Grover, okay? Super Grover shows up. And the naivety, the naivete is the inborn character of trust. And unless you become as a little child... That simple trust, okay? Now, please, you know, I know it's hard for us not to talk about rabbits that lay eggs and how that they can visit every home around the planet and bring everybody eggs, now, first of all, it's got to take, it's a, it, I mean, this is adults doing this. And this is adults saying, you know, there's a rabbit that lays eggs. And they're colored eggs, and, they, and he, he goes to everybody's house and puts them in a nice little basket and leaves chocolate there, too. Yes. What's that? Oh. So anyhow... <laughs> There's little kids back there. I have to remember. All right, I'm thinking that. So the idea is that whenever we, when we look at this, I have the question. Doubt, or, doubt in our life often comes from faulty beliefs that don't come true. Somehow beliefs, somehow we believe that the end justifies the means, that, we all, that somehow we have to tell lies to create happiness. See, 
I always had troubles with this whenever our kids were growing up because, yes, there is an Easter, there is an Easter bunny because, look, there it is. It's a stuffed one. You know, and yes, we do color eggs and, and we do have these Easter egg hunts, but somehow we have to look at this and know the difference between putting them on equal enthusiasm and equal belief. Because at some point in time, we're going to be responsible for both in the eyes of that child. And the challenge is, in our own lives, when we are challenged to have a childlike faith, to believe something, our first response is, what? Negative. Oh, I'm not a child anymore. Why? Because sometimes those childlike beliefs were proved to be invalid. Sometimes those childlike beliefs were proved to be invalid, and so we don't look at our faith anymore and our faith in Christ to know that God can do miracles in our lives. And we, we somehow have canceled out this inborn child, this inborn character that's inside of us to believe. We've canceled that out because we believe too much and, you know, I didn't have Super Grover when I was growing up, so, but <laughs> I hadn't invented Super Grover. I had Superman, you know. We have these superheroes and it's still that type of belief that, you know, this, there's this person who can jump tall buildings in a single bound. It's faster than a speeding bullet, bullet and, you know, then stop trains and, whoa, wow, where's he live? Well, he came from Krypton or someplace, you know. Oh, so there was this, and so inside of us, whenever we challenge ourselves to believe the simplistic principles of our belief, which is what? They were already there. We don't have to create them. We canceled them out. We canceled them out. And whenever we have this going on with Ananias and Sapphira, we know that Ananias, he wanted to play a part in order to roll, you know, ride the tide into the early church and be somehow elevated to a position that his character wasn't ready for. He wanted to be elevated to a position that his character wasn't ready for. And he was going to do it by lying. And he died. And if we, see, and what do people do when they lie? They are generally trying to ride something to a point to be something that they are not. So they have to lie. Lying will rob us of life. <laughs> Lying will rob us of life. Your life will be built on the truth of God's word. Sapphira, his wife, comes in, and Peter says to her, did, <laughs> did you, is this what happened? She goes, yeah, that's it. She died. You see, it doesn't matter how many people believe the lie. If you originate it, <laughs> it's, going to it's going to take away the truth. And the truth is what? It's going to destroy. The truth will set you free. The lie will destroy you. And then, as we go on, right after this, verse 12, through the work of the apostles, many God signs were set up among the people and many wonderful things done. 
So there was like this total respect for God. There was this total expectation that God could do anything. And so people, and there were miracles going all on, on all over the place, and they were all met regularly. The people got together, these thousands of people got together regularly in the homes. There was a remarkable harmony on the temple porch uh, named after Solomon. So outside of the temple where they worship, where the, the sacrifices were, and outside there was, they, people were gathered and they were singing their psalms and praising God and thanking God. But even though people admired them a lot, outsiders were wary of joining them. <laughs> there were some people who were coming in from the outside villages and so on. They hadn't heard of Jesus or whatever, and they were kind of a little wary of what's going on. But on the other hand, those who put their trust in the Master were added right and left. There were people added to the church daily. They kept hearing about Jesus, seeing what was going on in these people's lives, and being changed. They even carried the sick out into the streets and laid them on stretchers and bedrolls, hoping they would be touched by... By what? What would they be touched by? Peter's shadow. Is that not an inborn character of faith? That if this holy man who represented God would walk by and his shadow would touch them, it was all that they needed to be healed. If we said that, if, we, if that happened today, what would happen? Oh, man, guys, those people are crazy. <laughs> they believe that the shadow's going to heal them. The shadow knows. <laughs> you know? And so we, you know, we would, what happened? Because we would look at that and discredit it. And I'm not saying that we have to, well, well what am I saying? I'm saying that inside of us is the ability to believe and to trust. And somehow, some way, we've canceled it out. Somehow that, that naivete, that inner quality of us, that inborn character, 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 that quality of faith, quality of person, quality of individual that God created us to be that would trust him in life and in death, trust him in difficulties and in good times, that part that God created us inside to be, that one who would trust. See, God created us to believe in him because he is our creator. And his spirit was in us, the breath of life. And that's how we're supposed to live, with God's breath in us. That breath inside of us is that quality of life and character that trust him emphatically and we have to teach ourselves not to trust how do we teach ourselves not to trust well you know there's a super grover and then of course um, peanuts and the Easter beagle (laughs) the Easter beagle he delivers eggs and uh, there, you know, 
well, we've trusted in people and it didn't work. I went to church somebody and they lied to me. Yeah, those, that's, that's happened. But Jesus will never lie to us. His word will give us life now and for eternity. His forgiveness is complete. I confess my sin, every sin of my life from now back is forgiven. Never remembered against me again. That's how complete God's work in us. Eternal life is not something, a date on a calendar out in the future. Eternal life is the quality of life that we live now. Making a difference. So, what do we have? We have Jesus. We have him walking in our lives, helping us each moment of each day, and that his spirit is alive inside of us, that inner character, that inner quality. And we may have been hurt, and we may have been, that may have been challenged and canceled and all that stuff, but that still doesn't mean that we can't believe. And whenever we begin to believe, we begin to see God working in us. And it starts, Father, forgive me, for I have sinned. He forgives us. Our name is written in his book of life, and we begin the eternal lifestyle now. <laughs> How about that? Don't worry, I don't have a super grover. <laughs> I don't have a superman, and I don't have an Easter beagle, but I do have a Jesus that is given to us in the Scripture his spirit is with us, and just as Peter was changed from that fisherman into a leader of the early church, so too God has a work that he wants to do in our lives, and we don't have to lie or pretend. We just allow ourselves to be us, and God will do the molding and the making and the lifting and bringing out of the character in us. Amen? Let's stand, shall we? <laughs> Father, we thank you for your blessing. We thank you, Lord, for the, the hope that we have in you and the life that we have in you. God, we are grateful for that we are safe in the arms of our Father, that we are forgiven, and that you did not come to condemn us, but, Lord, you've come to set us free and to give us life and to give it to us abundantly and for eternity. So let us, God, be receptive as a little child, we trust your word to forgive us. We confess our sin, O oh God, and ask you to forgive us and live within our hearts. If we have sinned in thought, word, or deed, Lord, we ask your forgiveness. Bring us peace, O oh God. Give us your thoughts. Give us your presence. Take us from this day forward to grow in our relationship with you. We pray, God, your blessing upon our lives, upon our families. May your spirit teach us, touch us, embrace us, hold us close to you, we pray. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. God bless you.